This is Coda Radio, episode 122, for October 6th, 2014. everyone, and welcome to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host, established on the East Coast, Mr. Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Hello, hello. Hello, sir. How are you doing on this fine Monday? I'm great, although I opened the show with a cough because, you know. Because you're not so great, but you put on a good front, and we appreciate it. We appreciate well, it. Well, you know. You know, I was thinking, too, as we as we establish our maiden voyage on uh, Monday here, you know, we've always been the start of the Jupiter Broadcasting Week, right? It goes out with the Linux Action Show, and we open it up with Coda Radio. I don't know if that's always going to be the case. I feel like there could be a change in the wind. I don't know what direction on yeah, that I time, feel, but I feel like I feel like be. there could be, too. Yeah, I so we'll like keep there's... the audience posted on that. I, I've had a hell of a morning. I'll tell you what. Uh, so I, I just uh, we'll get into the development stuff, but I just have to share the story with you really quick. So after the Linux Action Show on Sunday, uh, I was running really late. The show went long, and then we had some tech issues afterwards that I had to resolve before I could head out. And so I, I was about 25 minutes late, and I needed to get home so my wife could get to a remembrance. And I felt pretty bad that you know I was holding her up because she was kind of part of the of the of the uh, crew or whatever that was putting put on the remembrance. So they, she was kind of needed. So I rushed home, and I just burned through the last bit of gas in my truck. And when I, was, I was pulling into my driveway last night. You know, the little countdown that tells you how many miles are left on your tank says three miles. Well, the nearest gas station is like six miles from my house. So I was like, ah, oh, crap. But I needed to rush into the house. Well, so I forget all, I forget all about that come Monday morning. And, you know, I have, a, I have a morning talk show that I have to be on the air at 9 a.m. for. And so it's about it's about a little after eight, and I get in my truck and I turn it on, and I instantly remember, oh yeah, I'm out of gas. So I I turn on the truck, and good news, it comes on and says you have 15 miles left on the tank, and I'm like, okay, all right. It's like well, I just found like an extra 20 bucks in my pocket. Like this is awesome. I could even get to the studio if I wanted to, but I'm not going to risk it. I'll take a little extra time this morning. I'll go to the gas station, the one I like, not the one close to the house. So I get going down into town. And I noticed that it starts ticking down a little quicker than it should, you know, as often happens on a low tank. And it gets down to about 10 miles. I'm like, oh, geez. It gets down to about 9 miles. I'm like, oh, man, well, good thing the gas station's right over these train tracks. Right as that thought goes through my head, railroad, ding, 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 and the arms come down, and a coal train starts coming through town. And I'm sitting there idling, and the truck ticks down to 8 miles, 7 miles, 6 miles. Oh, no. Five miles, four miles. And what's going through my head right now is I'm already late to get to the morning show as it is. So now I might run out of fuel, right? And now I'm really starting to worry. Yeah, now you're toast. Right. So just as it gets to three miles, the, the arms go up. I go over the train tracks. I get gas. I get into the studio. Everything works out. We wrap up. I'm, so I'm already feeling rushed, though, right? So we wrap up the Tech Talk today. Everything goes fine. It was a good episode. And I, I get some food. I start cooking. I turn the oven on because I'm going to cook bacon in the oven. I go upstairs. I start, like, poking through the Coda Radio emails and stuff. Start kind of putting a show together. Power goes out. Power goes out at the studio. 
only goes out for 30 seconds. You wouldn't think that's a big deal? Well, you see, in the studio, some stuff's on UPS, like the expensive stuff is on UPS. is more to protect the equipment, right? Not necessarily out of functionality. Right. And other stuff is not on UPS. Well, the studio has a specific order of events. Things have to be turned on for the capture to work and everything. So the whole studio was in shambles because part of it's on, part of it's off, and nothing's talking to each other anymore. So then I spent between, when I got off Tech Talk today, between trying to make bacon, even though my oven turned off halfway through, and then trying to get that going again, and restoring the studio right up to this point. It has been one of these days, Mr. Dominic. One of these days. That sounds like a whole lot of Chris Fisher fun. <laughs> I know. That is, uh, yeah, there you go. There's life of a podcaster, everybody. Uh, and then, apparently, the video stream kind of is blipping out on people, too. And I don't even know what's going on with that. I don't even know. Beside myself. All right, well, uh, maybe we can uh, get into some feedback and distract me from it. Uh, Matt IndieDev, who wrote in last week, I believe, about uh, the Google Play real uh, address identity thing. Uh, he was clarifying us on some of the questions we had, because honestly, I had not really looked into this because, A, I, I'm, I'm actually, I, I am, I'm, I'm such an extreme hipster right now that I'm rocking uh, Android L on my Nexus 5 on Ting with F-Droid for my app store. I'm like not even living the Google life. I'm not in the Play Store anymore. So I'm not thinking about the Play Store. I don't d- develop apps. So I haven't really followed the story. But Matt wrote in to clarify a few questions we had last week when talking about it. And he says, hey, guys, I just want to make sure you got it straight. If you look at the AndroidAuthority.com article on Google forcing developers to publish their home address in the screenshot that they include in the article, if you read this fine print, it says, after you have added an address, this is from Google, Right. It will be available on your app's detail page to all users on Google Play. Well, that's fantastic. So they publicly publicly will be posting the addresses. Now that is astonishing. So that has to be like legal pressure. That has to be if you want to sue a developer, it's, you know, since many of them are like just one dude in a basement somewhere, no offense, um, you want an address, right? And I, I wonder, though, why is that not something Google could just have on record and retrieve when uh, you know, a legal precedent required it? Why does it have to be something, to me, what it seems like it's going to force developers to do to go get like a P.O. box somewhere? That's probably exactly what it's going to force them to do, right? Yeah. I just got, I'm not cool. Anyways, uh, so he goes on to say, uh, once you see that, that's the whole point of why I got upset. As Mike said, all stores require an address for billing or selling, but to publish it, publicly is just ridiculous and there was a couple of other people in our subreddit who weren't like super fired up about it but they made the point that like google has built the google play store off the backs of developers and now that they've got it established now they're sort of ratcheting up the control and you know what they want it's like you wouldn't even be where, where you were at if it wasn't for these developers and now you're kind of screwing them well are they screwing them or is it like you know, I mean, I guess the kind of are screwing them, right? Like Google Play made it super easy to do whatever you wanted. Um, quality be damned, right? Uh, copyright be damned. And now that's not going to be the case. Yeah. That's a good thing in some sense. I mean, right. I think the to Play me, Store I mean, needed some cleanup. I, you know, I, it's funny because I, I am running a Nexus 5 now. And it, there are some, like, as an end user, weird disadvantages to Android. Like every every Thursday, about you open up the iOS app store, and there's some new interesting apps. And Android, right. I feel like that's less of the case. Yes, for sure, for sure. Um, so maybe this is just an attempt to kind of clean up their act. 
You know, that's an interesting point. Uh, I, I definitely, you know, have now rocking the iPhone and the Nexus 5. Right. Uh, and then, and then on top of that, on the Nexus 5, now using the F-Droid store, which is very utilitarian. Uh, no fluff, no big banners, no top lists other than popularity just based on downloads. Um, very, very minimal and um, not like uh, no ways in there from what I can f- No, like some of the apps that you kind of come to expect. But then also apps that are awesome, too, that for geeks are really good. Uh, and it's, so it's, it's been really interesting to look at the iOS app store versus Google Play versus F-Droid and just this massive spectrum. And I think in terms of what like the average person who would buy a Nintendo or a Nintendo DS, I right. think Apple has that experience a lot more locked down. Um, and Google has the, this can be my entire computer for my life experience, a lot more locked down, I think. There's a lot, you know, you can get a file manager, you can get all this stuff that's just not even an option in iOS. Yeah, I, I, think, that's, I think that's pretty fair. Um, I don't know which approach is better. It, it, it's kind of like the system where you're going back and forth between well, right. what's good, what's not good. It totally depends on your needs. Do you, do you want this as sort of a fun entertainment info device? Or do you want this as, it can be fun and entertaining, but it can also be sort of a utilitarian utility belt type, you know, it's your Batman belt. Um, and actually, I would argue that while it might sound like I might fit into the latter category, I think I'm more of a, I just want to have some fun, and I want it to be simple enough to make, uh, you know, some basic things, but I don't need very much complexity. Uh, and so that's why I think I've been trending more towards iOS, And though, although, although Android L is, is very nice. Android L is yeah. unquestionably the best Android ever. Whoa, the best Yo, Android ever. Yeah, yeah, big time. Yeah, and that's, that's I think, unequivocally. I think it's the best Android ever. It looks the best. It performs the best. The battery life is the best. Um, a lot of the little things, like uh, the notification tray drop-down stuff that used to bug me is all fixed. Just uh, little nice touches to UI freshness, like uh, you tap a menu and it slides down real smooth and nice, and there's a little bounce effect. It's I mean, this is a, Google is coming with some competition with Android L. After using this for a while, I, I definitely think it's it's the best Android ever. Those are uh, those are some fighting words. There. Yeah, no, I'm not saying it's the right OS for me. You know, uh, because one thing that's been interesting about my experiment with L, and maybe it hasn't given me a complete picture, so I need to kind of put this out there, is I have not associated this with any Google account. So, uh, and and to that end, Android L ships with about I think I counted. I might. This is a little rough. Because I've installed a lot of apps since then, out, out of sure. the, uh, just stock though, Android L I believe shipped with 32 apps, and I think including the calculator, only two of them didn't require a Google account to fully use. And I'm also even Chrome because Chrome keeps prompting me to sign in with a Google account, even though I can use it. And Chrome is better with a Google account. Right. Uh, so L is very, very, very closely tied to Google, and I'm tr- and I've been using uh, own cloud and F Droid for a little while. And and I don't know if it's because I'm not syncing to Google, but my battery life is just it's just unbelievable. It is I feel like I got a brand new phone out of my out of my battery life. Uh so right now it's been uh it's been off my charger for sixteen hours and uh I have forty percent of my battery left. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. I took it off my battery I took it off the charger yesterday, a little bit after the Linux action show I think, and haven't put it back on my charger since then. And that's with installing apps and playing around with F-Droid and all that stuff. So L is, L is bringing it. Uh, all right, Eugene writes in, weird requests from potential clients. I really want to hear what you think about this one, Mike, because I've been in the same situation. Uh, he says, have you ever had a client ask you to take a personality test? 
And what should I do if I get such a request? Run away? What if the contract is less than six months versus like maybe a five or ten year contract where maybe I'd be more willing? Uh, what are your thoughts, Mr. Dominic? Uh, no one has ever asked me to take a personality test. <laughs> would you that, do it? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think I would. Uh, that's some weird stuff right there. Yeah, so I have been. It was, uh, so when I, uh, was, when I was an employee that was sent out as a contractor, so they contracted me out. Right, right. Uh, which is kind of was a great way to kind of learn the ropes and then go off and do my own business. But one of the things that, like they, they brought in this this guy that they thought was like this business genius, and they uh, the the owners really respected him. And I I didn't I, I didn't know. But one of the things he recommended to them is have all your staff take a personality test, see where everybody lines up. And uh, I was young back then. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! You needed the money. I got pretty offended, and um, you know, I took my boss into his office, and I was like, "You got to, we got to talk about this." And I brought him in, and I brought him into his office, and I, I mean, I really laid into him about it because I, what I believed, and I actually think it did happen, is then they put you in a box, and oh, uh, you know, like for example, um, if I just say I prefer iOS, right? Uh, right. And then now, next episode, I criticize Android. What's the natural response? Oh, well, he's an iOS guy. He's an iOS guy. Now I'm in a box, course. right? I'm in a box now. Even though that's not fair, even though I can objectively, like, I just I just got done complimenting Android, right? But I still think at the end of the day, I prefer iOS 8. Although I mean, that's not even a firm position. But yet, now I'm in a box. And that's what I was worried this personality test would do, was put me in a box. Oh, well, yeah, Chris has a hard time doing this, or Chris is best at this, so let's give him all of this. Like, there's two sides of it, too. It's not just what are you weak at, but what are you strong at? What's your, where do you excel at? And, uh, you know, or like, oh, well, Chris isn't, you know, Chris's personality type isn't good at uh, organizing documentation. So then all of a sudden that becomes the thing that they mention on my review every single year because now they know it's something they can have me work on. Whereas before they would have had to sort of flounder around to find something. That's what I was worried about. And I, I don't think that happened to a full extent uh, because the people that were running the tests went into it saying, all right, these, you know, you can't put that much stock into them. So they considered them. And I think maybe they changed their approach to working with us a little bit. But at the end of the day, uh, I think it really matters on how much the people that are reviewing the test take them seriously. If they take them with a grain of salt and just maybe consider reformatting how they run meetings, that's okay. If they use them uh, to inform how they should interact with you and judge you, that's a problem. And I don't know how when you're interacting with a new client, you make that determination. Other than if it's a short-term project and it's good pay, well, then who really cares? It's not like you're there for the rest of your life. Uh, I think you care, to be honest with you. I, well, if I they're not going to, yeah. I mean, it depends on how, you know, if they're kooky about it and you think it's going to, you know, then you got to you gotta just trust your instinct. I, I don't know. Like, I've worked in some kooky places, man, that uh, were good clients, but I wouldn't want to live there. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know what? You know who you kind of, you know who you kind of sound like a little bit right now. You sound What's like. That? I, 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 I will, I will uh, hold, hold, hold on, guys. Come on, I, the, uh, the, the, there's just. Uh, I, I, that's your president there. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. If somebody slapped down a personality test, I'd probably, that'd probably be that for me. Yeah, I, mean, I, don't, I think that's fair. I think that is a fair response. I think that's like just one of the things you can't really go back from. 
Yeah, and I uh, I tell you, I was pretty pissed off when it happened. I was, I mean, I've never, I don't normally make a habit of screaming at my bosses. And you know, the thing is, sometimes when I get into it, like I can't stop myself. And I back then, especially, like I just keep going and going and going and just right. digging down. And like I really, and then I was like, oh wow, so now they're going to see something on my personality test, and that'll just va- that that explosive session. And the reason I did is because I felt betrayed at the time because we right. were, we were working good, everything was going really well, and then all of a sudden they brought this guy in who's like, well, why do you have so much stock in this kid? Like, why you need to you need to you know make you know like this guy sort of brought in this doubt and all of this. I don't know, like it just made it, it, it eventually, it eventually changed, it did kind of lead to changing the tone of the relationship long term, uh, not just because of my outburst, but also because they sort of, they got spooked a little bit that, you know, they thought they couldn't rely on me, they didn't think I was reliable, which is ridiculous, because I, you know, I had, I had been working there for years at that point. Well, yeah, so. I mean, there are certain things I think, like, you know, both the employee, employer, like you can't go back from, right? It seems like a bad management move. It, well, it, it seems like a management move. I mean, we would really—it's hard to like, criticize your former employer without, you know, knowing everything that, say, the owner of the company or whatever would have right. known, right? right. Yeah, yeah. Like, were they bleeding money, and were they just looking for excuses to fire people? I mean, that's possible, right? Were they, or maybe, I mean, maybe they had some extra people on staff that they didn't need. Because in my mind, the only reason you bring on consultants and make people take a personality test is an excuse to fire people well and part of it too was like at the time these owners uh, had their own load of clients and uh they were all underperforming what my revenue was and so they were really and, and one of them in particular my direct boss was really underperforming you know by like he was making he was pulling in 20 percent of what i was pulling in and i think there was pressure on him to sort of clean up some of the uh, slack there and take less dependency off of me as a revenue generator for the company and right. um, the their way to cope with that was, well, let's figure out where we're not syncing up, and it, it was just this weird, like I don't know, it was it was sort of like let's let's defer the let's defer the problem into some sort of hocus pocus test that will help us better align our work styles or something, and when really what it was is the guy just didn't work very much. Yeah, yeah, it does sound like a little bit of like office space. See, that's why I get better. <laughs> Well, it, it does, right? It, it feels very arbitrary, I guess, in my mind. Well, and I just don't necessarily even know if I believe in those tests being very accurate because uh, I could answer it today and it would have a completely different answer than maybe a week ago, really. I mean, it, it depends on your frame of mind when you take the tests, how much sleep you've had, all of these factors. Right. Um, all right. It seems like the only – yeah, I don't know. Uh, okay, well, uh, we got some – we got uh, – we got a couple other really good emails to get to. In fact, uh, a question that I think is going to be right up your alley. Um, but before we get to that, I think maybe we'll take a second and talk about our friends over at DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is, well, actually, I was going to say it's it's my little secret, but it's really not so much a secret anymore. Mr. Dominic knew about it before I did, so I don't think it was much of a secret then either. But it really has enabled us to expand some of our functionality, especially some of the back-end processing stuff, in a really straightforward and cost-effective way. So if you're not familiar with DigitalOcean, I'd recommend you go over there right now. DigitalOcean.com. That's DigitalOcean.com. And DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. You can get started in about 55 seconds. However, James sent us an email today. Uh, Koto Radio listener James got his droplet spun up in 33 seconds. That's awesome. And here's what you get. 
starting at just $5 per month, 512 megabytes of RAM. A 20 gigabyte SSD. DigitalOcean is all SSDs. One CPU and a terabyte of transfer. That SSD is going to give you the I.O. density that an entire RAID array used to be required to get you that kind of performance. But what is really also kind of key about DigitalOcean is right off the right off the bat just for five dollars you're going to get a terabyte of transfer just that's just the that's like the starting transfer which is incredible and what's great about that is it's really fast transfer DigitalOcean has data center locations in new york san francisco singapore amsterdam and london but i I think what's really my favorite thing and really made me sort of continue just when i need to solve something by spinning up some back-end infrastructure i go to DigitalOcean, and a huge part of that is because of this control panel it, the interface is so simple and intuitive, but yet extremely powerful. And power users can replicate the control panel on a larger scale using DigitalOcean's straightforward API. This is a great way to integrate it with a management infrastructure or just a script backups. You know, you could sni- uh, script the snapshots because you can back up your DigitalOcean droplet. It's a great way. Like, before I installed the next version, of, there, was a, there was a point release to OwnCloud 7. And now I'm using OwnCloud enough. I'm like, I don't want to risk just updating this without taking a snapshot. Well, DigitalOcean makes that so crazy straightforward great. And so I just took a snapshot, ran the update. Of course, there was no problem. But if I did have any problems, I knew that that dashboard would make it super straightforward to just go right back to where I was. And with private networking, you can do some really nice like back-end stuff, have a front-end web server that answers requests and delivers the results, but can query a back-end SQL server that isn't exposed to the public web. And the other really cool thing about DigitalOcean is because that's a private connection inside their data center, they're not charging you for that transfer between the front-end and the private machine. That's huge, right? That's huge. If you put a database or you put some files on that back-end system, that's a really big deal, especially if you're doing some front-end caching. That could get nuts. That's just the beginning. They have one-click deployment of things like GitLab, WordPress, Ruby on Rails, all of that. You can really get going and just start working on your project immediately. DigitalOcean.com. And here's what I want you to do. Use their special offer code. Now, we're in transition between months right now. So use the promo code CODERSEPTEMBER. And if you're kind of listening to this a couple of days after we published... Coder October. I know it's challenging. It's one word, all lowercase, Coder October. You'll get a $10 credit. Then you can try out DigitalOcean for two months for absolutely free with that $5 rig. DigitalOcean.com, Coder October, when you check out. And a big thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Rocking like three droplets right now. Kind of nuts. In fact, sometimes I spin it more and then just destroy them when I'm done. Okay, so our next email comes in from listener Lee. And Lee says, what's the proper way to structure a business case uh, uh, to document? So, say, structure a document for a, proposing a business case to a, for a software project. He says, hello, I got a question from Mr. Dominic. I'm in college for a software engineering degree. I'm on a project to build a CRUD app, C-R-U-D, CRUD? I don't know, a CRUD app for administrative tasks. Just a basic database app. So write, create, read, update, delete. Ah, yes. Very good. Very good, sir. He says, before we can start building this, we have to pitch our app to our customer through a business case. Here is the problem. School never explained to us what a business case exactly is. I structured the document in a way I thought was appropriate, but I still had a no-go. I asked for feedback, and I I made some required changes, but I still feel like I have no clue what I'm doing. Here's the question. Do you have for me the proper way to structure a business case document for a software project or a good reference book which I could follow with guidelines? Thanks for the hope. Uh, thanks for the show, and hope you will make longer episodes like you used to. Oh, sorry, man. Well, oh. we, we always structure to whatever the content is. All right, before uh, we started having a little connection troubles, I was talking about the need to build a business case, and I was saying we have these 40 servers, and I identified 
this is how much they cost us to run. This is the management requirements, the power draw, and this is why it's a bad thing. Here's my right. solution. Yes, it's going to cost this much up front, but long term, I believe we can have a, a huge savings, a huge return on investment. We'll be able to save power, save management, reduce complexity, et cetera, et cetera. And I identified how we'll reduce complexity and why that's a good thing. I built the case, the reason. I mean, do you think I'm nailing that? What am I missing? Well, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the business case is ultimately just the why, right? Um, now, he's talking I, specifically about a document. Now, I I feel like that's kind of a construct of the school because, like, yeah. my document would be tailored to the client specifically, and I would just, uh, you know, like, well, I'll, I'd often have, like, an intro page and, you know, make it nice. and We don't have, like, a specific format for that kind of thing. Um. And oftentimes it depends on, like, if you're bidding on a contract or something like that, it depends on how they want to see it, right? For instance, like, a, a lot of the times we might do, like, a quick PowerPoint, right? Or something like that. But there's no, like, you know, we're a template that's business case. Right. Um, maybe your professor, to the writer, maybe your professor has one he wants you to use, Well, I it, guess. it doesn't sound like it, does it? Yeah, I've never I've never heard of like a formal document in a template being called the business case. Yeah, right, exactly. Right. The business case. <laughs> to be honest, the best the best business cases are usually pretty simple. Like, you know, it will save us X dollars in the long run. Right. That's I think maybe he's overthinking it to an extent. It really is you have to appeal to the basic requirements and needs, and that's all you're doing is building the case for that. Yeah, it's Hence, like it'll either case. save us money or allow us to do something new. It's in the it's in the word business. What is the case for the business? What's the reason? And you get that. That's the reason. Yep, very much so. All right. Uh, while while we still have connectivity, we'll get to. Uh, ooh, oh, we actually have a couple of like a uh, hoopla blowout. So uh, you know what? Before we get to that, since uh, we. Uh, we had a little break in between. I want to mention our next sponsor before we get into this Hoopla stuff. And a lot of the Hoopla this week came from the subreddit. You guys really came through with some great topics. And, and one that I'm all fired up about, I got a little rant going at the end of Linux Action Show last week. And I'm kind of curious. I have a feeling Mr. Dominic's going to have a 180 take on it. So uh, before we get to that, I want to talk about LinuxAcademy.com, sponsors of the Coder Radio program, LinuxAcademy.com slash coders to get started where you can save some money. And they just rolled out a brand new update to their site. They are awesome. Look at this site. If you guys have been seeing the uh, Linux Academy spots for a little bit here on Coder Radio, you're, you're familiar with the old site. This is looking so good. And it really now, the quality of the site matches the quality of the materials on the back end. When you log into Linux Academy, you get step-by-step video courses for all of the content they have, downloadable comprehensive study guides. And it comes with your own server. When the lab requires it, they'll spin up a server on the back end for you. And I like that They've started kind of, they have Linux so, so well covered. And they've expanded into OpenStack and DevOps and AWS. The DevOps training might be particularly of use to some of you out in the Coder Radio audience. So remember, go to linuxacademy.com slash coders. You can run any 7 plus Linux distributions when you take one of the Linux courses. When you do the AWS courses and a lot of the other courses too, they'll do scenario-based training. So you implement the entire stack, you walk through the whole thing, and you've actually delivered a product at the end of the course. Which means you're going to be prepared when you have to go put something in production because you've already done it 
once before, and they're spinning up the virtual systems for you as you go in the courseware, telling you right where you've left off, and now they're integrating something brand new called lesson plans. These are learning plans that allow the user to select their daily availability, which I love because you know me, I'm kind of busy, and then they will automatically adjust the courseware to match your plan. It's generated for you. It's custom tailored to you, and learning plans can give you lessons and quizzes and labs. That can be due on each day, which they can then send you reminders, or you can spread them out depending on your availability. It's really cool, and you can keep going. When you log back in, you can just resume right where you left off, and they give you a little time and say, "Okay, if you've got 20 minutes tonight, take this." It's a great way to stay fresh on your skills, keep yourself competitive, and I also use it to kind of dabble in new technologies. Like I never really had a chance to play with OpenStack in production, but now I can go over to Linux Academy. And since all of the courseware is always available available to me because I'm a subscriber, I subscribe to Linux Academy myself. I can just try anything I want. That's huge. That's huge too because they're always learning new course. They're always adding new courses, so you can learn new things all the time. Go check them out over at linuxacademy.com. Go visit the new website and go to linuxacademy.com/coders to get the special discount. Go over to linuxacademy.com/coders and a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Okay, Mr. Dominic, I got a couple of things I want to bounce off you. First of all, a lot of theories are going around why Microsoft skipped Windows 9 to Windows 10. The one that seems to be gaining the most traction with our audience in particular is this um well, it was called a rumor. I don't know if I don't know if I agree with that, but here it was. Is a Microsoft developer explains in a Reddit thread why Windows 10 is called Windows 10 and he says the internal rumors were that early now these now he's saying the Microsoft dev is saying internal rumors are that early testing revealed how many third-party products had code that checked for if Windows 9, then assume it's 95 or 98 and, and you know, bail. And so because in testing, enough applications detected the 9, they decided to go to 10 to avoid this problem. So my question to you, Mr. Dominic, A, do you believe it? And B, what are your thoughts about the new version number? I know it's a weird question, but... I, I don't know. I, I have some thoughts. I want to hear what you think. I, I don't think that's the real answer. Uh, that seems super silly. <laughs> Thank you. I, what, you you think it is or you think it's not? It's crazy silly, but I figured everybody seems to be buying into it, so I thought, okay, maybe Mr. Dominic buys it. You know why? I was kind of like, is that legit? Here's what, here's, what, here's what sold me on it. Ray Ozzy tweeted on Twitter, tweeted on Twitter, that he wrote code that checks for one. And, uh, you know, like, there's, there's going to be software out there that's looking for the version one and will bail. So it's, it's a silly argument to begin with. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. Uh, honestly, to me, this is like the simplest question on the planet, right? They did it because the Windows 8 brand sucks and 10 is further from 8 than 9. Yeah, but doesn't that show kind of a... I don't want to be too strong here, but doesn't that show like a really weak hand? Kind of a little pathetic? Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. I was just expecting you to defend it. Okay. I don't know why. It's just sometimes when I go I, on... I, I, I probably would have done Windows 9 because, you know, some concession to the market, but I don't... I certainly don't think I would have done this. Uh, I don't know. I don't... This whole play is a little weird to me. Well, now, not just to bash, though. Uh, I was looking today at some of the new features that are coming to the console, to the command prompt in Windows 10. It's yeah. actually looking like a pretty damn good terminal with uh, some nice features, including, oh, yeah, like... Windows, Windows 10 looks like a great update for, like, the developer or the pro uh, yeah. pro user. For the sure, pro yeah. Windows user, yeah. Okay. 
All right, next Hoopla topic. We're banging these through because I really, I, I, I'm currently sending you 20% packet loss, so I have no idea yeah. how long it'll hold up. It's, it's pretty rough, but let's do it. <laughs> All right. Uh, so Yahoo, discontinuing Yahoo. Hi, Mike and Chris. It's been a long t- time since I contributed. Well, thank you, Savage Tiger, Tiger, for writing back in. He says, the projects we work on at our company are usually really JavaScript heavy, and, and uh, to structure all the code, we use a framework. As you know and have been discussing on the show, there are a whole lot of frameworks popping up that use different philosophies. So which one did we choose? Short answer, the wrong one. Long answer, Yahoo User Interface 3, YUI 3. It has been around for a long time and therefore is rock solid. It has small com- uh, community but a big company behind it internally. Also, it's really extendable so we can make our own components. He says, I think Yahoo's in rough waters, though. Last week, news came out that Yahoo was discontinuing most of their services, and I'm really not sure what to do now. It looks like they're killing this. Even though I'm sure we can still get some mileage out of YUI 3, we started moving away immediately. We're starting to rebuild on top of AngularJS, but the difference in design philosophy makes this very hard. For example, there are no serializable rational models, and where UI3 really tradition, where, where UI3 u- uses a traditional uh, object-oriented design pattern, AngularJS is bidirectional, binding-based, and it's a night and day difference. AngularJS is also extendable, so I'm bolting on my own solutions for missing functionality. But as you can imagine, it's really time-consuming. So what he's saying is, hard times are ahead, and we kind of made the wrong bet. And he, he wanted us to kind of discuss this a little bit. And um, I look at this, and I think of like folks that have, I don't know, and I was kind of looking into this perhaps in light of our discussion around Zamarian, or Xamarin, however I'm supposed to say it, and how you know that's a really expensive long, wrong bet to make that sometimes you don't realize until you're way deep into the project. So... Is it, is it just one of these things where you cut your losses and move forward? What, where are you at now with that? Is there any updates you have on that? And do you have any thoughts on uh, Savage Tiger here? Yeah, I mean, the, the Xamarin issue is a little different, right? So they, they did try to push a patch that fixes some of the issue, but not the core, you know, kind of leaks memory all over the place. Um, the, the issue with, I, I, see, I think the real question is like picking your tooling, right? Because it, it's kind of a delicate balance between you need to pick tooling so you can offer more efficient work, whether that means a shorter deadline or, or cheaper bill. Right? That's the only reason to use any of these tools. Um, you know, his position sucks even more because, well, Yahoo, if they really do drop it, then you're alone, right? It's, it's kind of terrible. Um, I, you know, I don't know. This is something I've always struggled with. Because you could say, okay, we'll always use open source tools and you won't, you'll have the community. But there are some really shitty open source tools, right? Yeah. And communities. And communities. Um, I don't know. This is something more and more I keep finding that just using the platform vendor's tool chain is probably the least painful path for most things. And, of course, they, they want it to be that way as much as possible. Right. Like Apple, Google, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Chrome. Everybody's incentivized to make their tools not suck if it's supporting their platform. Mm-hmm. Where if you're a third party, um, particularly in the case of Xamarin, you're probably more incentivized to tick off the box and kind of keep up with the platform vendors. Right. You know, like I'll give you an example. iOS 8, certainly on the consumer side, has some issues. On the developer side, it's pretty damn solid. Right? The, the new APIs are pretty, pretty good. Um, now, of course, the fact that the updates 
broke people's phones. It's terrible. They had nothing to do with the developer tools, right? right. Yeah, it's true. Like yeah. Xcode used to be a steaming pile of shit, but now it's actually one of the better IDEs out there. Mm. Um, and that's because Apple is super incentivized to get this right. And they're competing, right? They're competing with it's, Google. And it's a different kind of competition. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that I does make I a difference. It Certainly, I see a lot of value in, in using the tool chain, using the software provided by the platform vendor to get that really good experience. And, and uh, so It depends, of course, like when you're talking mobile versus web and things like that, but... Uh, also, well, e- even on the web, though, right? You could make the same argument of like, oh, well, we're going to use this crazy JavaScript sublanguage instead of JavaScript. Like you're taking developer convenience, but then you're relying on this third-party vendor who may or not be very good at what they're doing, mm-hmm. right? Well, and I was going to say, like, uh, you mentioned it, but the, because of this competition and this continual incentive to move the platform tools forward, like they've come a long way, um, where some of these uh, problems are not as pronounced as they used to be that, they, that using the platform tools has. So I wonder if that's a bit of it too. Uh, but you can see the situation he's in where they kind of, you know, they're using JavaScript and they have this really great system in place and then th- things change. And in this case, it's no longer in Yahoo's interest to push that forward. Right. And that's, that's the problem. That's kind of the end of the conversation, right? Yep. Like yep. Marissa Mayer's had enough, Mommy's had enough, and uh, you're screwed. So on the topic of open source communities, this is our last kind of hoopla blaster topic uh, before we uh, lose connection. Lennart Pottering, <laughs> uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan. I actually, uh, I don't remember what talk it was, but he destroyed some poor German kid that was trolling all his software. Oh, really? Uh, jumped on stage, yeah. Whoa, I, I, yeah, that sounds wish... interesting. Yeah, he's also uh, one of the uh, lead developers behind SystemD and Pulse sure, Audio and other, sure. other tools on uh, Linux. He works for Red Hat, and he wrote on Google Plus today, this morning, a massive post talking about how uh, we all talk about how great open source is in the community is, but in actuality, there's a lot of jerks in the communities out there. And uh, you could, what he says, you could apply to the open source community, you could apply to communities around frameworks, you could apply to sports fans. But I thought I'd, I wanted to read a bit and get your take. Uh, and maybe what we can do. He says, I don't usually talk about this very much, and hence I figure that people really are not aware of this. But yes, the open source community is full of assholes, and I probably, and I, probably more than others, am one of their most favorite targets. I get mail for hacking on open source. I get hate mail for it. People have started and stated multiple times petitions on different websites asking me to stop working on open source code. You can go Google for it. Recently, People started collecting bitcoins to hire for a hitman for me. Yes, this really happened. Just the other day, some idiot posted a song on YouTube, a creepy work, filled with expletives about me and suggestions of violence. People post messages and references to artwork in 4chan style. And there's more. A lot more. So uh, he talks about how essentially he gets a lot of hate for flipping bits on a hard drive. It seems a little out of perspective. And um, I guess when I look at this, I think this is not new. This isn't something that Lenar is just discovering, but it's something we don't talk about a lot. Like we talk about open source and community like it's this magical thing where code comes out of and uh, it's filled with sunshine and happiness. And, yeah, there's a few extreme cases, but uh, for the most part, everybody's really great. But, uh, you know, I've 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 seen the the nasty side of this as well. And. I think it's interesting how community can collect around something. It could be a software project. It could be uh, something like an open source uh, core system utility. Or it can be a podcast network. And sometimes that community 
is and oftentimes massively beneficial to the company, to the software project when they're starting up. And then sometimes some companies cross a threshold, and now that community starts to turn into a liability. Uh, the, the Twit Network is currently struggling with massive trolling um, after mm. some talent has left the network and yes. fans have been upset and there's been websites to, to, uh, to, to document all of the mistakes Twit now makes. There are chat rooms where during Twit live shows, there are alternate chat rooms running where people are you know, um, slamming the, the shows. And the thing is, is these people actually have some valid complaints. They're, they're not wrong. Uh, there are valid issues that that people are complaining about, and what's happening is Twit is improperly handling the response to this problem, and they're sort of adding fuel to the fire and offending these people more and more. And it is interesting to watch a community of people who used to love a thing. It could be anything, right? But in this case, it was a podcast network. Right. Now turn and turn that love into a very deep anger where they're, you know, they're going out and they're trolling hosts, they're trolling the shows, they're, they, have, they have an active blog with four or five contributors writing things about Twit every day. Um, and in some ways, it seems like Twit really screwed this because you could see it was coming and they didn't, they didn't handle it properly. But in other ways, it seems like an over, a, a much too strong of a response. And, uh, well, I mean, I don't know. I, see, I have a much, you know, I, if you look at it from certainly Twit's management perspective, there was definitely a little too big for your britches going on, right? Like, I mean, let's not start the flame war, but certainly, you know, there's the one person who was let go in particular that was popular, right? Mm-hmm. But he was also going on every other network with the exception of this one. And, uh, you know, doing little shows there, or guest appearances, he was becoming bigger than the actual show. Mm-hmm. And if you're Leo Laporte, I-, I think you're absolutely right to either chastise or terminate him. But, I don't think that's why he was let go, though. I think it finally just came down and he wanted more money. Oh, well, then, yeah, he should have been fired for being an asshole. <laughs> um, I, well, but th- th- that's exactly the same thing, right? But I mean, that's kind I of think- like, but take it, so say that was his star talent on the network. Now, say that's your star developer. Like, this guy's a real rock star. He codes like nobody else. He, gets the, he always seals the deal when, when it's getting down to the deadline, and he does it, like, with a smile on his face and professionalism. Uh, is that is if you are a development shop that needs somebody like that? It's I mean that's their business, right? He is he was their lead anchor. That was well, their business. So, he, so this, that's that, that's a that's a management error, right? You can't have one hero and everybody else is a putz. Because then what happens is the the putzes resent if you do compensate the hero more. Well, you know what happened is uh, I don't think he was maybe he might have been the lead hitter, but when he left, sort of the other top talent kind of started to leave too, because I think like. You know that old Apple, that old Steve Jobs saying that A players want to work with other A players? Yeah. So when you start to lose your A player, then, you, then your other A players start to leave too. And then you're just left with nothing but your B players. Uh, well, it's I, a tight I, line I to mean, walk. I mean, I think it's different. I mean, comparing it to a dev shop is, is fair only to a point, right? Okay. So, for instance, a podcast network has the issue of editorial voice. And certainly that network has an issue of being a little too friendly with with the people they cover Mm. now a dev shop you're supposed to be friendly with your customers Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. there's no conflict of interest there um i would say that the biggest issue would be like a lack i don't know i mean getting into like things we don't like about other networks is probably not where we want to go no what i kind of want to go with it is um i don't know if it's almost a tale of caution because what i see happening there could easily happen to a really popular software uh project even closed source but it happens all the time, right? Like there, there's a hot app. I'm just going to use apps because it's something I know. People don't get pissed off. Um, 
you know, and some company comes out and clones it and randomly becomes more popular because mm. they have more marketing money. Yeah. This is kind of the way things go. Hmm. I mean, certainly, you know, I've been one to get upset about it. It, it doesn't matter, right? Like, well, it's interesting when the community kind of turns in on on you and when you kind of relied on them before. I don't know. It, it seems to me like you've lost something there. And it was simply like it's like it's not it's something you have to manage. But I don't know. I, I'm, I'm still trying to put it into words. It, it, to me, it seems like there's a lesson to be learned for software developers that rely on a community big or large. Just like there's a lesson to be learned for Jupiter Broadcasting to watch Twit. Well, I also think so open source is, is kind of a whole Yes, I think if your your software business is based on open source, you know, I, I'm sure you read it, Chris, all the articles about community managers. Mm-hmm. I feel like you do need someone like that, but it needs to be, you know, you're obviously managing a community and trying to get them to do things you want them to do. But maybe you need, in my opinion, having dealt with some open source projects, I would really love it if they removed the trappings of collaboration right like when the corporate vendor obviously is trying to push you in a certain direction mm. maybe be a little more direct about it mm. um, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a fine line to walk so the community manager isn't the PR mouthpiece they actually right. need to be like a community facilitator it's tough I mean it, it's really you know, I, I have a lot of respect for companies that actually like do it with open source rather than their proprietary because that is super hard yeah and I feel, I mean, Lenart has obviously stepped into the spotlight many times, uh, but I feel bad that if he's getting death threats. That just seems too far. Yeah, well, that's the other thing, right? The internet is literally the worst place in the world. <laughs> uh, the FBI like, director this weekend called it the scariest parking lot in the world. It, it, he's got a point, right? It's the Moss Eisley of the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were talking about it today on the Tech Talk Today post show, too, and it's just... Yeah, it really is becoming kind of nasty, and and in some ways Twitter is great. It may, you know, I can connect with folks that I've never talked to before. I've gotten a lot of show guests over Twitter. I've taken some trips thanks to Twitter, uh, but I also get a lot of drive-by crap on Twitter. You know, it's just mean stuff because it's it's very low energy and effort and risk to send off as something that's maybe you wouldn't normally say to somebody over Twitter. And I think that's that's kind of the problem, right? You you wouldn't do these things in person. Like if your open source community were people who, you know, you guys met at an office and the company bought pizza and they hung out. Right. They would not act this way. And what would happen is if there was a disagreement, the guy wouldn't come the following week. We just need to have like a common understanding that no arguing on the internet. I know that sounds crazy, but let's just all agree. No arguing well, on the internet. Well, you can argue, but you, maybe you have to argue like in the traditional, you know, rational you, sir, argument. are incorrect because of reasons. Right. Rather than, Lenard, I'm going to go kill your dog. Right. Like, Everybody, let's raise some bitcoins to go kill Lenard. Yeah, that seems a little, right. that seems like, a little like, extreme. Like, I, th- I think there's certainly a place for civilized argument, maybe. I agree. In fact, if you'd like to send in some civilized arguments, please do. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, click the contact link, and choose Coda Radio from the drop-down. Don't forget, you can also go over to our excellent subreddit over at codaradio.reddit.com. That's always where we're looking for a little idea of what you want us to cover. We have feedback threads for each episode, and it's a great way to also just ask a question that our community could is answer as well as Mr. Dominic and I. Mike, is there anywhere you'd like to send folks throughout the week? I'd like to send them to at Fingertip Tech on Twitter. Boom. And look at us now that we're uh, now that we're here. It looks like our connection is stabilizing a little bit. Go figure. Go figure. But who knows, right? We should probably end it while we can still hear we each other. We should probably end it while we can yeah. hear each other, yeah. That would probably be good. 
All right, well, uh, don't forget you can also watch us live for right now. It's going to be Mondays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern over jblive.tv. That could be changing. If it ever did change, I'd tell you how you'd find out. little pro tip here, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. And it also will convert it to your local time zone. So there you go. Last but not least, I want to thank all of you for joining us and encourage you to grab our RSS feed so that way you just get this show automatically every single week in your favorite podcast catcher. All right, everyone, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. We'll see you right back here next week. <laughs>